We're going to be in Exodus 17 and 18, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to try to get through two chapters today, so let's go ahead and jump in. Um, So this week, uh, if you're new here, we have this thing, and it's since we started the church about eight and a half years ago, that we desire to be a rescue ship and not a cruise ship. If you've been here for a while with us, you've heard that. We want to be a rescue ship, not a cruise ship. You know, on a cruise ship, you come, it's really, I've never been on one because I'm scared, I I get seasick. Um, It's a true story. Um, There's this one time on the lake, I was skiing with some friends on the lake, cross lake, and I got seasick. So that's just what you can know about me from there. So I do not go on cruises. But I hear on a cruise ship, uh, you get served, whatever you want, and it's all about you, right? But on a rescue ship, you're going out and you're expected to be a part of rescue work, correct? And so um, our heart, and we believe the church, biblically, is a rescue ship, correct? Um, but we live in a context and a culture, even in my own heart sometimes, where I don't want a rescue ship. I want a cruise ship. I want to come and just, you know, be served. And I got um, an email a few weeks ago from a person uh, that left our church probably a year ago. And it was just the kindest email in the world how much they loved us and our church and how because of this, they couldn't come to our church anymore. And I was like, you know what? God moved them on. That's great. Then I talked to their friend this week. And um, uh, their friend told me that they just, that this is all just too much. It's just too much. And you might be in this room at our church thinking the same thing. This is all just too much. You want me to do this? You want me to do this? You want me to do this, right? And sometimes, um, because most of us in this room already live very, very, very busy lives, correct? And so sometimes it just feels like it's way too much. And you just kind of want to sit right here on the sidelines. But some of us in this room, we're the people who are fully engaged in trying to do the Lord's work, right? You're here every Sunday, you're setting up, you know, your neighbors, you're investing in others at workplace, you have a Bible study, you're doing all these things, right? And you're going, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going, and you're kind of doing this all by yourself, too. And you're sitting here today, this morning, and you're just tired, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, and you just see a real lack of fruit in your life. So we have these two kind of people here today, and most of us are honestly in the middle, we're not necessarily consumer, but we're also kind of not these, you know, healthy, ready-to-go missionaries of God. And here is kind of my big point for the day, is that um, if you're a child of God, you're a leader in God's family. If you're a child of God today, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a leader. And so today we're going to talk about spiritual leadership. And in this text today, we see in Moses and others this great picture of spiritual leadership, which brings us, um, so we're in Exodus, as you know, and we've kind of gone through this for the past few months, and so God saw his people, were being oppressed, were, in, were enslaved, were miserable, and his heart broke for them, and so God plucked Moses out, um, this kind of messed up man who had murdered someone, doing all these things, said, I'm going to use you. And he objected and said, no, I don't want to do this. And God said, no, you're going to do this. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and said, let my people go, if you've seen the movie. And uh, we have plagues, then we have uh, Passover, 
and Pharaoh finally relents and lets God's people go to go with Moses. And as they leave, the fun just begins, correct? They leave and immediately, like right off the bat, they're like, what did you get us into? There's literally no food. And so God literally rains down food from heaven. And that's where we are today in Exodus 17. There's a lot going on here. But our first point today, Christians are spiritual leaders. They're not spiritual consumers. Christians are spiritual leaders. They're not spiritual consumers. We see all throughout Exodus 17 and 18, different people coming into the story. Not just Moses, right? So we see Moses right here at the beginning of 17. And we can probably relate to this. He cried out to the Lord in verse 4. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And there's this sense I feel like we have, and we think about getting involved in people's lives, to encourage them, uh, disciple them, lead them. There's this fear that these people will reject me and ignore me and most of all frustrate me. And that is true, right? We see it in the life of Moses right here. But then later on we see Moses, Luke read this earlier, um, leading out this battle, Correct? And he has Aaron and her holding his arms up, participating in God's redemptive work. And then we see God tells Moses to send Joshua out to fight the battle. He uses Joshua in this. Then later on in chapter 18, he uses Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, to do leadership work, to do redemptive work for God's kingdom. And you see this all throughout Scripture. Look at 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, that's you the church, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're now a priest. You're part of this holy, royal priesthood in Christ. Ephesians 4. It says here, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Here it comes. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not for the work of sitting or watching, but the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Every person in this room that has put their faith in Jesus has been resurrected by the Spirit of God and is now a spiritual leader. And if you're a spiritual leader, the job of sitting on the sidelines is over. But also, the the, the honor and the privilege of being a part of God's work is for you today. And that is good work for us today. Here's the issue, though. The church has given people really, really low bar. Just please show up. Just please, that's all you gotta do is just show up. And you're reached with that, and that's how we stay. We just stay as people who've been like begged to show up, maybe give something, maybe if you're, if you really love God, you'll watch a kid every few months. That's the most we need from you though. Just please show up and keep paying our salaries, correct? And we've allowed, what happens is these certain few people, the role of pastor elder in the church, great role, a role we should honor and cherish and respect. 
We've let that role of leadership be the only leadership that we focus on. While the world around us, the world that the people who aren't pastors live in, is crumbling. While the church, in a sense, is not healthy. Because there's this idea that your job is to sit and consume. To come be a part of great things. But your role is to be a leader, a contributor. John Piper says this about about leadership. Spiritual leadership is using God's methods to get his people where he wants them. And reliance, here's the key, on his power. And reliance on his power. Which leads to our next point. Spiritual leadership is about God's power. It's about God's power. Look at Exodus 17, verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Moses strikes this rock. So, catch you up here. They got the manna from heaven, correct? So now they're full. What happens next, right? They're thirsty, correct? So they're thirsty. They're sitting here. What does God do? God provides through his power. It wasn't the the stick. It wasn't Moses. It was God who provided through his power. Yes, Moses did the act, right? He struck the rock, but it was God who was at work because God always provides for his people through his power. But his power doesn't just provide, it protects. Look at, look at um, verse 8. So you got to think, the Israelites, they left Egypt. These aren't warrior people, are they? They're farmers, they're doing this thing. They gotta, they've got to be exhausted, correct? They've been on this journey, and these people, the Amalekites, they see that. And they want this power, they want this, and they, they're just ignoring the fact of all that God has done and the life of the Israelites, and they attack. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. This staff, which we've seen all throughout Exodus, this staff which points to God's power. Take this staff, this picture of my power and my judgment, and bring this with you. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. To point to the fact that God is the one who is doing this. But Moses' hands grew weary. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And here's the key in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this, that's key, I don't that, write this as a memorial in a book. And recite it in the ears of Joshua, and I will, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Not that you will blot out, but I will blot out. He said, write this down. 
This is the first time we see God saying to write this down. This is so important that Joshua and the rest of you remember this, that it was me who did this because God knows that Joshua and others would start to believe without this reminder that it was their power that did this. It was their magic that did this, right? They raised their hands. It was them that did this when the truth is it was God who was the active one through his power providing on one hand the water the water, on the other hand, protecting through this battle. From God's power, he provides and he protects. And what you see here, all throughout Scripture and this passage, God's power is manifested in our and leaders' weakness. It's manifested in weakness. This is why many people never step out and do these things for God, even as a leader, because we are operating under the world's idea of leadership, which is all about power, which is all about charisma, which is all about these other things that we do not see in Scripture. What God affirms in Scripture is the weakness of the leader is how God uses his power in the leader's life. Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Many times we don't see God's power in our lives because we refuse to decrease. We refuse to decrease ourselves, rely less on ourselves, and boast in the power of God. And we live, what's funny about this, these weak lives in return. Because we refuse to actually be weak and trust in God. And part of this, I think, is because, maybe this is my life, is I want to accomplish this in my own strength so that I get the glory, correct? Like, I want to do this myself so people look at me and say, man, Jason is smart, he is great, he is awesome, right? But if I am weak, if I'm in the background, if I'm constantly boasting in Christ and in others, then I don't receive the glory. Spiritual leadership is about making God's name known. Spiritual leadership is about making God's name known. So we keep going to Exodus 17. God provided to them this water as they were thirsty. Then, then they're being challenged through this battle. God protects them through his power. And we see here in verse 14 what he does. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this memorial in a book and recite in the ears of Josh that will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord is my banner. Think about like a banner or a flag or this illustration that we honor, that we, it's this banner Moses is showing to to, to themselves and to others that God is the one who did this. Do not look at us 
Look at our banner. Look at the Lord is our banner. The Lord is the one who did this. We have banners in our culture today, correct? Think about the flag. This is huge weights in our culture, in our society. And even when that weight is challenged through protest or whatever, which I'm not getting into, by the way, um, all those things, we hold such weight to this, right? But Moses here is saying, the Lord is our banner. And for the church today, as we put our faith in Jesus, our banner has a cross and an empty tomb, correct? And that right there is the banner of our church, of Christ's church, is that he is the banner, that Jesus is the banner. This is all about his name, his glory, as God's power is at work in us as spiritual leaders. We're pointing to one thing, to him, that he is the banner. But here is the problem for many of us, including myself in this room. We have let smaller, less important banners rule our life. It's these lesser banners that dictate our schedule, that dictate our money, dictate our relationships because we're trying to attain these certain things or focus on this or that. St. Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. To do the work, of Je- he gave it to us, his new created family, he gave us this work. And I love this word coming up. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, here it comes, we are ambassadors for Christ. As ambassadors, we hold one banner. There's one banner. There's one banner that we as ambassadors hold up, that we're a new creation because of him, and that is it. And we don't just worry about these little things around us. They're a part of us. We're concerned about them. I get all those things, but they are not supreme. They're not the banner. See, this banner, here's what it really does. It brings great unity, right? We hold up the banner of Jesus above everything else. We have this, we have rich, we have poor, we have Democrat, Republican, we have black, we have white, we have all these things under the supreme banner. It unifies us. But what happens many times in the West, even in our church, is we let other things Other smaller things divide us, take our attention away, correct? Like there's things like, um, here's the deal. I have views on how healthcare should be paid for. I do. But you know what? Those views are not important at all, right? You have views on how taxes should be paid. Those views all fall under the banner of Jesus Christ. And many times, in our society, in our culture, in our church, these smaller things, we're so tribal now, aren't we? Even in the church. We have tribes within the church. I'm charismatic. I'm reformed. I'm Baptist. I'm this. I'm that. All these things, right? Friends, I'm here to tell you today, 
they're not the supreme things. And many times they're taking our attention away from the ultimate thing, that Jesus Christ is our banner. Or think about other little things. Our kids, many of us in here, our kids are the banner of our life. They're our joy, it's where our money goes, absolutely. Our time goes, and it's all about them having this perfect, supreme life. And we are missing out completely because our banners have been mixed up. And I just was thinking this week that we have this great story that we've been saved by Jesus. And I think about uh, even my own life, and I think about your life as well. Who are the people? Who are the people in your life, whether it's the neighbor, whether it's your family member, friend, coworker, whatever it might be, that needs to see and hear about this good news through you, a spiritual leader? What could that look like? Who is that person in your life right now? But here's the issue. So we're going to kind of wrap up today. The reason many of us aren't making God's name known is this right here. We have absolutely no margin in our lives. Spiritual leadership requires margin. It requires margin. Look at Exodus 18. We see here um, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he comes to visit. And uh, everybody's happy, they greet each other, and Moses tells him all that God has done. And Jethro is so excited and almost seems like he comes to faith in God through this, through this story. And so Jethro, Moses, think about all that Moses has done for a second. We just stop. He was just sitting here and just minding his own business, and a burning bush shows up, right? And God uses him to go to Pharaoh and declare what he's going to do, do all these things. And Moses leads these people away from Egypt. He's like literally part of the Red Sea through God's power. He's gotten manna to come down from heaven. He's seen this rock. He's seen them win battles when they have no chance. He's seen all these things happen, all of these amazing things. He'd have a great Twitter feed, wouldn't he? Like he was just so much he could brag on in his life. And then his father-in-law visits him. And Moses, being a great man of God, tells him all that God has done. Not all that Moses has done, but all that God has done. So we see this great picture of leadership. But yet he's falling short. Look at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Please underline alone. It's a side point. Leadership survives in community. It survives in community. When Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out two by two. There is nobody that's going to do great things for Christ in a solo venture. And Moses said to his father-in-law, verse 15, because the people come to me to inquire of God, 
when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. These are all good things, people. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. We can do lots of good things. Lots of good things. But if it's in our own power, with no margin at all, no dependence upon God, it's not a good thing. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You were not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. What happens as we start walking in margin? And you see this here as Jethro is giving Moses great instructions on how to just set up his leadership tree, so to speak. When we follow God and we create this margin in this space, what happens is our world gets smaller. And this is so tough for us because we live in a world that just seeks to be known by everybody. Just everybody. But in God's economy, smaller is better. Smaller and deeper is better than big and shallow. So instead of you spreading yourself thin for a hundred people in your life, saying yes to every single little thing, which will ruin you and ruin them, as we see here from Jethro, right? We see all these things. God's economy calls us to give ourselves to the people in front of us, to our oikos, as we've said before, which is that eight to 15 God has placed in your life and your path to invest in, your family your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, those right around you. We see this all throughout Jesus' life. Jesus, I want to remind you, who could literally heal people. And I've said this many times in, the, in this church that he would literally have lines of people being waited to be healed by him with leprosy, so we're clear. Um, not a headache. And Jesus would stop and withdraw. And go to the other side of the mountain and simply be with God. That was Jesus. Newsflash. Nobody hears Jesus. There is no line in this room that I can just say, you're healed and be gone. That is not me at all. Or many of us in this room, I don't believe. But, um, and so I say that for us because many times we feel like the weight of the world is on us. And that's because we have a wrong belief about who God is and who we are. We're believing in our power and our sovereignty and what we can do and not in God's. So a few things here. Margin gives us space to connect to our power, which is Jesus. Margin in your life, margin in our life gives us space to connect with our power. It's in the margin, it's in the stopping, 
it's in the turning off, the disconnection that we meet with Jesus. And we live in a world that is so loud now that being disconnected is so abnormal that our souls are withering and crying out for simply to be with Jesus. Go to John 15. It's not my notes, but that's okay. First one, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Oh, this is KJV, I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. It's in the margin, when we're sitting with Jesus, that we have the clarity, the freedom the ability to say no and prune things from our life because God is doing that. But if we're never stopping, if there's not the margin in your life to simply be with Jesus, you'll become a yes machine that is never disconnected. But it's in sitting and abiding in the true vine, the only hope, the only water that brings life in him, he will do the work to prune things, to give us clarity, to give us freedom, to give you confidence in him to say no to lesser things. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It is in this time, in the margin of pushing everything else away and simply being with Jesus where true life happens. That's where true life happens, friends. George Mueller says this. I love this quote. The point is this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I ask you, are our souls happy in the Lord? If your spouse, if I asked your spouse, that's what gets real. Would they say your soul is happy in the Lord? Not perfect, not perfect, but this person's soul is happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. It's in this space that um, life gets figured out that your world becomes smaller because Jesus Christ supernaturally does a work in your heart. We must create margin for that. Margin gives us space to live out our role as ambassadors. Margin gives us space, gives us functional space to live out our roles as an ambassador for Christ. Many of us here, Luke told me this this week, I thought it was great, that... Um, if we, had the, if we had the woman at the well come to us, we'd be too busy to talk to her, correct? So I got to go. I got to do this. We have no time to sit and just be with people. I was having lunch with some friends this week, and we talked for an hour, and it was great, and we had a good time. But it wasn't until after an hour that actually, like, the real stuff of their life came out. Like, their real struggles, their real burdens, their real concerns, my, my friend Jeff Grubb says we're not microwaves or crockpots, correct? We have to have margin to give time to people. Being an ambassador is all about telling people and showing people that Jesus is better. 
But many times we're saying my schedule is better. My kids' stuff is better. I'm going to tell you right now, most of our kids in this room are not playing professional baseball. There's no, Frank Thomas is here. That's an old reference right there. I do not follow. Mike Trout. Mike Trout. I know him. Um, That's not coming from this room. Just as a newsflash. And so I, I want us to be very, very careful. Yes, invest, enjoy, but be very careful. So two things for you about this. Two challenges. First, do you need to prune some things from your life? Literally say no to something in your life. Cut it out of your schedule. Stop doing it. Push it away and forget about it. In your life, a kid's schedule, a work thing, is there something in your life that needs to be pruned? Write that down. And this week, talk to God about that. Don't decide right now. Talk to God about this. Let him direct you on what to prune. Are there things in your life that need to be pruned? Second, do you simply need to leverage the things you're already doing for God? Maybe God's not saying you should prune these things from your life, but he is saying change your mindset going in from being consumer where you're just coming to consume and enjoy things, but to go to be a spiritual leader in the midst of these things. So maybe your kid plays soccer or baseball or you do this. Don't stop doing those things necessarily, but as you go in those environments, you're going carrying a banner with you, correct? At all times saying, the Lord is my banner. He is my hope. He is my everything. That is the point of you playing soccer. That's the point of you going to the gym. That's the point of you going to work. It's not for you to make money or do this or do that, but to hold up Jesus as the better thing. God has placed you with influence and people looking and talking to you. So as we create margin in our lives, we're pointing to him. So do you need to prune things? Or do you need to kind of change the way you think about yourself in the midst of things you're already doing? So the last question. What does healthy margin and rhythms look like? So you might agree with me, yes, I need to create space to hear from God. I need to create space to be with other people. Agree with it. But what does that look like? I read a book uh, a few months ago called The Common Rule. This is not, you know, the Bible. This is just something that I thought was very, very helpful. And he was this person, very successful uh, lawyer, and he basically had a mental breakdown from just going and going and going and going and just going. So he had to stop and had to kind of have this rule of life of how am I in 2019 going to live my life following Jesus? And he had eight habits that he wrote down. Let me share with you today. First, prayer three times a day. This gets awkward. You're in the office, you shut your door, and you're literally, for him, he gets on his knees and he prays to God. Because posture for him resets his heart and his mind towards who's actually at work here, and it's God. But three times a day, where he just set everything else aside and got with Jesus. Prayer three times a day. Let's move through these. Here's a good one here. Scripture before phone. This morning, my alarm went off, and I knew this was one of my points today. And I went to my phone, checked my email, and I said, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> hypocrite in action right here. Um, for me, this is a real struggle. It's Scripture before phone. Listen, the world is out there waiting to distract us, isn't it? To, in a sense, take from us to want from us. And we go to our phones before Scripture, what we're saying in a sense is that we are God going to these things to figure them out. When we 
change our lives and we go to God's word first, what he has to say about the world, about himself, about us, before the world, over time, our hearts and our lives are changed. Another one, a meal with others every day. Every day, sit down with other people, it can be your family, and have a meal, devices away, and talk like human beings, right? A meal with others every single day. An hour with your phone off every day. Every day, phone away, engaging your family, your kids, God, but being disconnected from the world for an hour every day. Sabbath, one day a week, which in a few weeks we'll get into uh, in this series. And so Sabbath, one day a week where you're just disconnected, you're with God, you're with people you love. Sabbath, one day a week. An hour of conversation with a friend each week. And I would go a step further, um, an hour of spiritual conversation with a friend each week. With somebody in your life that's looking you in in the eye and saying, what is going on with you? Where have you sinned this week? How can I pray for you this week? What am I holding, holding you accountable to this week? Somebody in your life that you're sitting with, doing life with, that knows you and is talking to you every single week. Next one. Curate media intake to four to ten hours a week. This is not the Bible. This is a picture of what this can look like. Where you're saying... It is so easy to get lost now in a streaming world, isn't it? To like look up and say, I just spent six hours watching Friends. How can you begin to, because, but these stories, these things, they shape us. Or they numb us, is another thing. They just numb us to the beauty and the reality of who God is. But to curate, because it's, it's good to hear stories. Listen, it's good to hear podcasts. It can be good to watch movies and see God's redemptive plan in these things. Stories are good for our souls, but we are so numb to stuff now that we don't hear these real stories anymore. So we have to learn to curate just how much we're absorbing as far as media, as far as intake. Last one, fast for 24 hours once a week. Fast for 24 hours once a week. I will tell you, I've done about half these the past few months. um, And I'm still working on a few of the others, (laughs) um, especially fasting. Um, But I will tell you, here's what I will tell you. Um, There has been something for me. I'm like most of you. I, I desire to be liked by every single person in this room, right? But there is something about being up at five in the morning, not with a phone, with no kids, with no wife, with nobody but God. Nobody but God. And to literally hear God remind me of who he is, that he loves me in spite of my failures. All these things that don't happen unless we create the space and the margin in our life. Because my desire is for 30, 40, 50, probably just 50 years from now, that I am walking with God, right? That my kids and grandkids will one day, they can know that the daddy or grandpa is walking with God. That, that somehow through God's grace and my weakness, there is this picture that Jesus is better, right? 
that only happens when we, in a sense, say no to lesser things to create the margin in our lives. Because I imagine the people in your lives, your kids, uh, the coworkers, whoever it might be in your life, who as you create margin to truly walk with Jesus. Because my prayer is for each of us in this room. God has given each of us a ministry. We have arms, we have legs, we have shoulders, we have toes in this room, correct? So my hope and my prayer uh, as one of your pastors is to see God truly at work in your life. For us to walk a healthy race, a long race, a marathon and not a sprint. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, you are so good to us. Lord, forgive us for where we um, try to step in um, and take control to try to be the power source in our lives, to try to be the sovereign ones in our lives, Father. Lord, I ask you to speak um, your love and your grace over us in this moment, Father. Let your spirit empower us. Let us respond to you with worship and obedience. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.